and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good, good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, ordination days like this one, the one that you've just witnessed, are becoming increasingly countercultural. Uh, we've come to the point, I think, in our culture when somebody may be coming into a sanctuary like this, just visiting on a day like this, uh, where you witness this event and, you, and, it, and it starts to require some explanation for what's going on here. Uh, way back in 1961, the late uh, great uh, Kurt Vonnegut wrote a short story called Harrison Bergeron. Uh, Harrison Bergeron is the name of a dystopian science fiction short story, and it's meant to be a nightmare. It's meant to be a nightmare. It is, uh, it is a prophetic nightmare. Uh, the year is 2081, and everyone in the United States is finally equal. They're not merely equal before God and the law, as set down in the Constitution. No, now everyone is truly equal. Nobody is smarter than anybody else. Nobody is more beautiful or more handsome than anyone else. No one is stronger or faster than anyone else. And this is all because of the passage of the 211th, 212th, and 213th Amendments to the Constitution. Praise God that in 2081, apparently, Congress works. Um, uh, but as, as, uh, as the story goes on, uh, because of a new cabinet position, uh, the handicapper general, government agents now enforce the equality laws, forcing citizens to wear handicaps. For instance, if you're a little too beautiful, you have to wear a mask that makes you look less so. Uh, those people who are super intelligent, they have radios implanted in their head that, uh, that just have other noise projected into their brains to bring their intelligence level down to the level of, of everyone else. And of course, those who are too strong, too athletic, they have to wear weights to slow them down. <clears throat> the Jets might actually win if, if, uh, if we could put weights on the Patriots. Um, <clears throat> I thought I was going to get an amen for that. It didn't happen. Um, but but the, the point is, Vonnegut was prophetic because he captured that American almost automatic recoiling from the language that's used here in Romans 13 or in the ordination service. The thought of anyone having authority over us. 
The very idea of this country moving away, uh, as you know, from a monarchy was born of that the egalitarian idea. And even uh, subsequent error corrections over the national sin of slavery were about creating a more perfect union. And behind the word perfect, of course, was that egalitarian all or equal impulse that we, that we have in us. It's in our blood uh, as, as citizens of this country. Vonnegut, Vonnegut simply asked, what if we took total equality to its logical conclusion? What if we took total equality to its logical conclusion? Not just equality of opportunity, but equality of outcomes to its logical conclusion. Already in today's uh, anti-authoritarian postmodern culture, where categories of social justice and intersectionality, identity politics, where everything is placed in these relative buckets of, of oppressor and oppressed, authority has simply become a bad word. Not just authoritarianism, that's always been but I mean authority itself. We're all on teams and there is no coach. Everyone has an opinion, but nobody can be right. Because, by the way, thinking that you might be right about something would make you an oppressor. And yet here we are with God's word in hand, and it claims as truth that God has put certain people over us. People placed over us sovereignly by the creator of all things. And that we owe something. That's the word here. We owe something to those placed over us. Now, look, this is, this is not a passage on elders and deacons. I preached on that a couple of weeks ago. But this message is an or exhortation to all of us in the congregation. Will we honor those? above us, in a place of honor, to prize them, to revere them, because God is God and he values them. Will we do that? Will we do that? Because people of the word can't get away with saying, I salute no one. No one is above me. Because the Bible commands honor. The Bible commands honor. For instance, many of us love Philippians 2. I love Philippians 2. Philippians 2 was preached at my, my wedding. It tells me to esteem others better than myself. And that's essentially what we mean by honor. But how does this play out? And is this in every single relationship or position? That's what we're going to talk about. And just two points this morning. Who is my honor owed to, who is my, who is owed my honor? And number two, how is my honor owed? Who is owed my honor? How is my honor owed? So first, who is owed my honor? Let's look at those people and, and just, I have to use a word here. You could call them classes of people if you want that we biblically are to honor. Uh, and to make this a little easier and faster today, I put some of these passages in, in, on your reflections page. If you turn to page 16 of your bulletin, Look at there, the verse from Leviticus 19. Uh, now, this isn't classism, because those who we are to esteem better than ourselves, we know, are not actually better. We're all made in the image of God. But we are to esteem them as such. Leviticus 19. You shall stand before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. Now, at the risk of being entirely self-serving, 
The first people you were to show honor to is the gray-haired, in other words, the aged, the wise. You're to reverence them. And this goes for our, our, our darker-haired new elders, too. Uh, a, uh, a fellow pastor of mine uh, tells a story that uh, he had a professor, George Knight. Some of you might know him. He wrote uh, well-known commentaries on, on the pastoral epistles and the, and the book of James. George Knight, <clears throat> Dr. Knight, would tell his students, he would say, in the not-too-distant future, you are going to be ordained and you're going to go to a presbytery meeting. And when you do, I do not want to get word that you, one of my students, spoke at Presbytery, not for the next five years. Until then, I want you to sit in the back row and do nothing. He said, if you want to serve lunch, if you want to take out the trash, if you want to file the papers for the clerks, go ahead. But until then, there are men who are old enough to be your father and your grandfather, so you should act as such. Listen to them. Defer to them. They've been thinking about these issues for year after year before you were born and to show them the respect that they're due. Now, let me say this. Our culture is the worst at this. We're the worst at this. If you're of a certain age, you know this. Uh, the older that you get in this culture, people, we, we just worship you. So people, when you get to a certain age, they look right past you. They look right through you. There's this thing in the culture that, that people will talk about where, where suddenly they become invisible once you become a certain age. And uh, just watch our television sitcoms for the last 30 years, uh, maybe starting with Married with Children to Modern Family. The smart people in these shows are the kids, and the dumb people are the parents. And, 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 and it's so bad that I'm, I'm finding elderly these days, who are actually buying into it, seeing themselves as worth less as they age. They're, the self-esteem of our elderly goes down as they age, such that they're sending themselves off to elder care facilities uh, before they're young, even talk to them about it, to get out of the way. See. You know, Asian cultures, many of, many of you know this, even pagan Asian cultures, are far more biblical in the way that they treat their parents, in the way that they treat their grandparents. Let me say this to you. If you truly want to be countercultural, if you want to be edgy, if you want to stand out in this culture, there's almost nothing you could choose that is more edgy, more out there, this side of joining a monastery, of revering your elders. Because it just ain't done. It just isn't done. Honor your elders for their wisdom, for their ability to reflect. Another group or class of people, this shouldn't surprise you, are parents. It's the fifth commandment. Again, back to your reflections page. Uh, there in about the middle, I put a couple of verses together. One is the fifth commandment itself. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then, this is serious. It shows us the heart of God and how he hates disrespect of parents. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. And in case, by the way, you think that that call to revere parents ended with 
the new covenant. Paul restates it in Ephesians 6 and adds to it that doing so, honoring your parents, will add to your length of life. Now look, there are bad parents out there. There are bad parents out there. I don't know all of your situations. You don't know mine. I'm not saying that every single parent, in spite of their behaviors, a great many of which might have been sinful and abusive, must be honored anyway. What I am saying, what the Bible teaches, is that as a class of people in general, parents should be honored. Now, even though those two groups are honored with less and less frequency, look no further than laws changing on parental consent forms for all sorts of procedures and surgeries, no matter what your age, there is at least a residue of honoring the elderly when it comes to maybe helping someone come through a door or appreciation on, uh, on, on, on Father's Day and Mother's Day. But now we come to a couple of classes that have fallen out of our collective and cultural memory. We heard uh, Nari read from Psalm 15 earlier. Psalm 15 says that we are to honor those who fear the Lord. And in the context of that psalm, we are called to revere the upright woman, the upright man. We are to revere godly men and women. This is one of the reasons I've been eager for this day as we've been coming toward it, and the, and the foregrounding of this process to ordain elders and deacons, I think as parents in particular, as parents in particular, we are extremely weak when it comes to calling our children to honor the godly among us. What I mean is, in the entertainment culture we're in, our kids' rooms are covered with posters of, of pop culture stars. Um, and... and uh, uh, the, 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 my, my question is, have we ever had a discussion with our children around the table about, are these per people worthy of our honor? You know, do, we, do we revere them for their talent? Yes. But do we revere them for their upright living? Nine times out of ten, the posters on our kids' walls are not of godly people. Now, let me be clear about this. I'm not suggesting that you make your kids take down their posters of pop stars. I wouldn't, for example, force Mrs. Rao to throw away her old Ricky Martin and Mark Anthony posters and put up enlarged pictures of Elder Jason and Elder Hute in their place. Just for me, that would be really weird. Okay. But I am saying, but I am saying, how we honor certain people should be thought about. We should make real distinctions. We should have those conversations with our kids about how we honor certain people and why and, and what for. So that, yes, these elders that we've installed today, your children should be aware of what they do in the servants, service of Christ and his church as much as they are aware that a pop star does what they do for fame and money. Number four, and for this one, I, I do want you to read this in black and white. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter 3, using the Blue Church Bible. That's page 1,295. This is the other class of, uh, classic passage in the Bible on marriage. Uh, here, Peter's been speaking for six verses on the role of wives 
and, and their responsibilities. But now Peter turns to husbands, and he makes this absolutely clear. He makes clear something that our elders have to take seriously in this church. Likewise, 1 Peter 3, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Husbands, honor your wives. Husbands, honor your wives. Do it. Do it by instructing everyone in the house to do as you should be doing. That is, when you rise up, call her blessed. Husbands, honor your wives. To remind everyone of what Proverbs says, to honor your wife as a precious jewel. And let me say to the young ladies of our congregation, if you don't get a sense of this by date one, the very first date, date one, that this person is going to honor you, move on. Move on. You can know this on date one from a bunch of cues if a young man's going to honor you in the minutes ahead, let alone the hours ahead, let alone a life ahead. If he's constantly talking about himself, move along. Because a husband must honor his wife. Fifth, and for this again, you can flip back to your reflections page. Let's look at another group of individuals because the honor here is high. 1 Timothy 5. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of a double honor. That's right. Whatever honor you are convinced of by Scripture to show these groups of people, the mature, your parents, godly men and women, your wife, whatever honor you give them, multiply it times two for your elders. And if you weren't here two weeks ago, you'll remember why. Because these men were given the awesome weight of holding the keys to the kingdom. It's an easy and sweet thing when, uh, when, when Hayden Perry and Craig Renault come up last week to become members of the church. That's a sweet and easy thing for elders to do, to interview them on their, on their, on their faith and uh, their trust in Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful and sweet and easy thing to do, a beautiful thing that we're going to do in a few moments when, um, when uh, Paxton is, is baptized here at the church. But it is an awesome responsibility, and it is a difficult task to walk someone out the door to announce that this person or that person has not repented and should be treated as an unbeliever to do the hard work of discipline. And of course, another reason is that the realm of the church continues on throughout eternity while other institutions, even God-given institutions like the family and marriage, do not. Mark chapter 12, there will be no giving of receiving in marriage in heaven. In heaven, we will not honor civil heads of state. We will not say, oh, there's Mayor so-and-so, and there's you know, Governor what's-his-name, and there's, uh, there's the president, you see. Those titles pass, but the pass, passage of, of, of time into the eternal kingdom, these, these, these people are ordained as servants forever in the church because the church is forever. Okay, we've spoken about who is to be honored. Now we very quickly got, just have to talk about what does that look like in our remaining time. In a culture that is now so informal, 
where we're all on, on again on the team, where everything is so flattened that we are moving toward uh, a, a non-binary reality where there are no differences between anyone or anything at all, except power, where we simply don't see people honoring other people all that much. Well, the old catechism hits us right in the face in a way that is so countercultural, so politically incorrect, that this can be very hard to swallow. But the question I ask you to ask today, is it biblical? Is it biblical? Now, before I move ahead with this, the, the, this question and answer is on your, again, on your reflections page. I want to tell you, it's just one of 11 questions and answers from our larger catechism uh, on the fifth commandment. And it's a human document, by the way. But again, my question is, is it biblical? So I encourage everyone to read the other 10 questions and answers. But the language here slams us in the face. What is the honor that inferiors owe to their superiors? And let's go slow here because we, we bristle at the words inferior and superiors. I want you to focus on the word owe. It comes right from our text in Romans 13. Honor is owed. Honor is a debt that we owe. So what is it that's actually owed? And the answer is the honor which inferiors owe to their superiors is all due reverence in heart, word, and behavior, prayer and thanksgiving for them, imitation of their virtues and graces, willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels, due submission to their corrections, fidelity to defense and maintenance of their persons and authority according to their several ranks and the nature of their places, bearing with their infirmities and covering them in love. That so, that so they may be an honor to them and to their government. Now, as I hope was, as, as we read through those words, that as we did, the bristling started to slow and the beauty of it began to set in. We need to get a visual on this. The honor which inferiors owe to their so-called superiors is all due reverence in heart, word, and behaving. Now that means that honor is not invisible. Honor is not invisible. You honor someone with your lips. Uh, some of us who come from the, the South, uh, you know, the, the yes sir and, 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 and no ma'am kind of thing. We, we honor people with our lips. You honor them with your actions when you stand for someone when they walk through the door. Uh, uh, honor stands up for and defers to another above you. A, a judge walks into a courtroom, the one we still call your honor. So the question is, why should you honor your elder? Because they're going to intercede on your behalf. They're going to serve you. They're going to intercede on your behalf. They are going to serve you by making decisions on your behalf, by, by praying for you, by teaching you, by encouraging you, by protecting you from error. They're going to try to protect you from, yes, sin. And by teaching the gospel, yes, trying to protect you from death. Not because they are Jesus, but because they are servants of Christ. So that we are to honor them by following them as they follow Christ. If they don't follow Christ, we don't honor them. But to the degree that they do, we do. 
And so obedience to them, not in anything, not if they're wrong, only if they are lawful commands. Again, we owe them something. We owe them due submission as they lead us. So let's now get to it. The problem is that we don't even recognize so-called categories of inferiors and superiors. And again, we're not talking by inferiors and superiors. We're not talking about people being better than other people. We're talking about station. There, no, I may be, you may think as I preach the gospel from, I'm your superior in some, some ways of teaching, teaching the Bible. But, but let's say you're a doctor or you're my attorney or you're my accountant. I go into your office and you're my superior. And I will do whatever you tell me because I, I, in, in, in that station, I need you. I need to honor you. See, it just depends on the, on the roles that we have in a given situation. What contributes to this problem where we hear these words and they rub us the wrong way is that we've lost a Christian anthropology. And you know what I mean by that. We've lost a distinctively Christian view of, of humanity. And that view says that all people are equal. All people are equally valued that no person is better than another person uh, or in, in any kind of way. And yet, while no person is worth more than another, there can be differences in gifts and in offices. And we recognize that in the very nature of the Trinity, where persons of the Godhead are fully equal in person and power and glory and righteousness, but where one can be greater than another in hierarchy role, or function. That's what makes sense of what Jesus says when he tells his disciples that he's come down from heaven not to do his own will, but to do the will of the one who sent him. The, the son honors the father in his servant work on the cross, and the father honors the son in raising him in vindication and glory. Parents here today, dads and moms, if you don't teach your children how to respect you, how to honor you, they won't know what it means when somebody like me tells them to honor God because they won't learn how to honor anybody. They won't have a category for it or an example of what it looks like. And if we don't honor those who are to be our servant leaders in the church, we do not honor the one who's placed these elders and these deacons in these roles. So if we don't honor our deacons and elders, we don't honor God. Let me just end with this. On this day, we recognize these servants as those God has placed over us. Did it happen through you? Yes, when you nominated them, when you voted on them last week. But you were recognizing what God had already done through these individuals. He is the active party in the church and in this ordination. He's the active party in, in the baptism we're about to, to, to do. And because there's always someone over us, there's a potential beauty in every relationship to serve and submit. I want you to think about this. Blessed submission, not the kind that's demanded, not the kind that's abused, not the kind that is enslaving, but the kind given. Submission that is done out of reverence for another, out of love for another. This actually can give your heart sense of beauty and awe. It should move your heart. You have this humility before Christ and because of Christ and the way that he has given gifts, sometimes you're going to be honored by others and sometimes it's going to be you that's honoring another. But know this, God calls you to 
Yes, an adventure of submission, a journey of giving Christ all authority over you. You've done that when you've come to to know Jesus. You've given him authority over your life. You're living life in submission already. If you're a Christian, you think that's beautiful. And so now, as we love God in submission, we're to love neighbor in submission as well and to consider them better than ourselves. Let's pray. Lord God, um, thank you for the promise of peace and of hope and of love because you have covenanted with us that all Christ is and has, he has given to us and as a gift such that we are honored in ways that we do not deserve. And so, Father, help us to honor others likewise to live out that covenant love in in our community here at Hope, but with neighbor as well. Make us ready for that. May we start today, Lord, by showing you honor and, and, and knowing that as we receive Christ as Lord, everything changes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.